Today on Keep Classical Weird, Halloween is around the corner, and so I bring you tales of nightmare games! Welcome, friends, to episode 23 of Keep Classical Weird. I am your host, Casey Bozell, and today's episode is dedicated to all the hardworking freelance classical musicians out there. Life is hard at the moment, and I know we're all missing our regular run of gigs. Even when the pace seems so fast and perhaps unsustainable, it's a performance life. We love it, and we're wishing it will return. So, to help us deal with the gigs that are gone... I invited some friends to share their stories of gigs that they won't miss quite as much. Today, I bring you Nightmare Gigs! First up is Toby with the tale of the cellist. Here's my story. We were hired to play an outdoor wedding near the Hoyt Arboretum. The ceremony was in a meadow some distance from the road, and we had to lug our instruments, stands, and music in. The people who were having the wedding even somehow hauled in an electric organ, and since there was no power, they actually brought in a gas generator. But that wasn't the worst part. Although they had taken the time and trouble to bring in an organ and a generator, what they hadn't brought in were any chairs for us musicians. Now, the violinists and the violist could stand, which is what we did, but there was no way that our cellist would be able to play without uh, sitting down, and there was nothing to sit on. It was in a meadow. So I scurried around trying to find something, and I finally found a wooden stump. Uh, I was able to roll it all the way over to our area, but the stump was only about 20 inches tall. Our cellist made do. She had to shorten her end pin uh, to the point where her cello was almost sitting on the grass. I've played many gigs with this cellist. She's great. But I'll never forget her having to sit down on a stump. Next, with a more direct musical example, is Andrew, a fellow podcaster, I might add. Back in 2008... I lived in the Midwest, played with a couple of regional orchestras around the area. One in particular, we had a really contentious relationship with the conductor. Not even sure if this conductor is still in music, but I'm nonetheless going to try to scrub it for any details that might identify. I'm talking like unionizing just to make sure the firings stopped. We did a vote of no confidence that was published by the local newspaper on the knife's edge of revolt and mass exodus. Awful, awful dynamic. And normally we're doing these programs that are kind of bread and butter, you know, Beethoven, Brahms, Mozart, that sort of thing. This conductor programmed Matisse Mahler by Paul Hindemith. Now, sidebar, Hindemith for like a regional orchestra, I'm not sure about that. I mean, does anybody really listen to Hindemith that much? It's kind of like Bruckner. They're kind of like the sticks and super tramp of the classical world. You hear them on the radio, but does anybody really choose to listen to them at home, like for their own enjoyment? Questionable. Anyway, back to the story. So we're in the concert. We play two shows per week. 
Friday, and then Saturday. Friday went pretty well. Saturday comes along. Second movement, Grablagung, which I think means entombment. It's kind of fitting. End of the movement finishes off with two very low sustained chords, kind of quiet, fat chords at the end. Low strings, brass, you know. So the first chord comes along. Conductor cuts us off. Long pause. Really long pause. Where's the second chord? Conductor's hands go down. We think, oh man, what is going to happen next? Is anything going to happen next? So collectively, somehow, we all come in with that second last chord at exactly the same time. And then the conductor sees what happens and gives us one of those waist-high cutoff type things, like the oopsie cutoff. Normally, these concerts, we have a certain amount of, like, gallows humor at the end. You know, everybody driving back to their homes and calling each other. Oh, what happened? This and that. This started, like, right after the curtain went down. The howls of laughter and the back slaps and the high fives and, you know, oh, we saved it. You know, who's going to get the credit for that one? No one, really. So that's my story. Now, at the time, I'm sure we read this as a metaphor for our struggle. You know publicly acting as one to combat adversity or whatever. But looking back, I see through all the politics of the situation, and I realize that we did something even nobler. Did we come together for the performance? For the community? For art itself? Nay, dear listener, nay. We did it for the fans of Hindemith. Shameless plug. Citizens of Drabland, now available on iTunes. Us string players can at least depend on having consistency with our instrument from gig to gig. After all, we bring it with us. Not true for piano players like Amy, who are subject to whatever equipment the hall has to offer. I want to thank Casey for her extraordinary leadership in artistry and for bringing these stories um, to the community. And I hope that mine can contribute uh, to... uh, a moment of amusement uh, and laughter for everyone. So my first story is traveling with a great friend and cellist. Years ago, I actually don't even remember where, except I remember the immense vastness of the roads um, and the space we had to drive. It was dark. I had to drive to concert and I think as usual I was late and my friend and I, um, we're, I was driving and I was absolutely speeding, recklessly so, and finally got to the place for a quick sound check um, before playing the concert, an evening concert. And I remember showing up, oh, thinking, wow, okay, nice space, wow, this is lovely, this is going to be wonderful acoustically. And as I get to the piano, as my friend is unpacking his cello, I get to the piano and I see that it is an electronic piano in a case that looks like a baby grand. So while everyone thought that I was playing on a real piano, I had to manage an electronic piano, (laughs) which I absolutely did not expect. So we were playing the most sensitive repertoire from Debussy to Janáček, Shostakovich, and I just, I remember it to this day that 
I had to play with the volume buttons. I had to try my best to adapt to the touch, especially when you play softly on it. it the notes do not speak so. Like the Shostakovich slow movement,、um, Sonata for Cello and Piano slow movement, it is、um, hauntingly beautiful and、um, intimate. And the cello has these long notes to sustain. And I come in with these colorful chords, and I remember just imagining the color, and then playing it, and the notes would not sound.、Uh, and then I would try to、uh, play it louder, and it would be absolutely aggressive underneath. His line. So, but I tried the best I could, and、um, hopefully somebody in the audience <laughs> enjoyed this amuse, amusing side of the pianist trying to、um, manage this instrument and adjusting the volume buttons as she played. My second story is rather brief, and、uh, it is a very embarrassing story that I played a concert in pants and tops, and I realized. Afterwards, after I took my final bell, that、uh, the zipper、uh, had not、um, been、uh, in its proper position. Okay, thank you for letting me share these stories, and I wish you a wonderful day. James plays with a group that tours quite a bit. This can present its own unique challenges. So I have a little bit more of a post gig nightmare for you.、Um, my Tangle Group tours in a 30-foot 1996 Ford RV. So, needless to say, it has、uh, its fair share of quirks to it.、Uh, we just played a great show at a really cool club in Santa Fe, New Mexico.、Uh, had an excellent sold-out performance, and we played there a few times before, and so we'd become pretty good friends with the owner of the club. We hadn't lined up anywhere to stay that night to park our RV, so he invites us to come stay in his driveway at his tiny house on the river at the end of a canyon. It's beautiful, he says. You'll love it. So we remind him of our travel limitations, of course, all thirty feet of them. He says, "No problem at all. There's one sharp turn. You'll be fine." So, all right. So we start following him out of town、uh, in about thirty minutes. You know, we're going along. Few mountain turns, everything's kind of fine. He finally pulls over at one point. He says,、uh, "That's the worst of it. No problem. All right. Yeah, famous last words." So at that point, we start kind of descending into this canyon, where turns are getting sharper and sharper every few feet, and the road is getting narrower and narrower.、Uh, the walls of this canyon are like literally closing in on us. So we're driving down. We're getting slower. It's slower. We're getting more and more nervous, and we're to the point where we're going like 15 miles an hour in this canyon, and even less on turns. So much so that we actually start scraping along the sides of these rocks. Like these rocks are just scraping along the side of the RV as we're going, inching along down this road, while our friend is just zipping away in front of us. So you know we're freaking out and we're like, what do we do? And then we finally decide, well, we've come this far, and we can't call them. We're in the middle of a canyon, so there's no cell service or anything like that. So we find we just press on. So finally, after what seems like forever, we get to a dead end on the road, and with this tiny little concrete bridge. I mean, we're talking maybe ten feet wide, single car width. 
concrete bridge that goes over this little river. And of course, we're in our 30-foot RV. So he stops, he gets out, and he says, you'll be fine. And we're like, dude, no, there's no way. There's no way we're going to be getting across this bridge. So three of us are outside guiding our driver while one member is still asleep in the van. So, you know, this is after a gig. It's, this is all happening around midnight in the middle of nowhere, New Mexico, outside of Santa Fe. So obviously it becomes very, very clear that there's just no possible way this giant RV is going to get across this little bridge. And so then we have to begin this process of turning our RV around and, you know, in this little dead end, a cul-de-sac, it is an exaggeration of where we are at this point at midnight and this little dead end of a road. And there's just, there's just no way that we have, can back out, you know, backing out of where we got is just not an option. So we're starting this, you know, Turn. He's trying to turn this RV around one inch at a time. I mean, and again, there's you know there's a wall on one side of the RV, and then a river on one side, a little tiny bridge, rocks behind us, and trees and stuff. So we start, you know, inching forward, inching back. So we start what turns out to be about, I'd guess, a hundred and fifty point turn, four inches forward until we hit rocks. The four inches back until we dangled just over the river, <laughs> and uh, and we just did that back and forth, back and forth. There's a lot of screaming, there's a lot of swearing, but uh, miraculously we got our van turned around, scraped our way back through the canyon. We did, uh, came down, and we wound up sleeping that night in a Walmart parking lot about five minutes away from where we started all along. So. That was our little touring adventure in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Just about getting stuck in a little canyon. Uh, some places that RVs are just not meant to go. One more epic tour story will round out our episode. Adam tells the tale of a series of very unfortunate events. My name is Adam, and this is a true story. I was living in Nashville about 10 years ago playing country music professionally as a fiddle player. I got this call from an artist who claimed to be signed to Sony Records. Normally, when you're working for signed artists, they hold rehearsals at this place called Soundcheck, which is basically a studio with multiple rooms. Uh, all of them are soundproofed. And they've got live sound there and mixing boards for front of house, mixing boards for monitors. So I'm following my GPS to the address and for the rehearsal. And it's, it's way out in the middle of nowhere. Turns out it's his house and we're practicing in his garage. This should have been my first red flag. Play through the rehearsal, it goes well. And uh, we're talking about how the how the gig is going to go, how the tour is going to go. And he said, oh, yeah, we're going to be driving down in my bus. And so I'm thinking, okay, sweet. Well, at least he's got a bus. The day that we're leaving for the tour, I roll up, and there's this rickety old RV. It's pretty small. <laughs> and uh, I find out from some of the other band members after waiting around for a while that the artist has 
decided not to drive with us, that he's actually going to fly down to Austin and meet us there. So the band, which is um, drummer, bassist, electric guitar player, fiddle, lap steel, and I don't remember if we had a keyboard player or not, but um, we all cram in this small RV and um, we realize a little ways out of Nashville that there's no AC in the RV so we're all sweating to death it took us almost 24 hours to drive from Nashville to Austin in this little rickety old RV so we get a text message from the artist that with an address that we're supposed to go to and it's where we're supposed to stay for the night it's kind of on the outskirts of Austin, so we follow the GPS. Turns out to be a super sketchy trailer park. The trailer park, the, the place that we're parked at, the guy loves feeding all of the neighborhood feral cats. So he has a big tray of cat food just sitting out in his front driveway. And, uh, like... 20, 30 feral cats. They're all natty, ratty, nasty looking. It's hot as heck. It smells terrible. There's all these cats around. And the guy invites us in to, offers his place for us to stay. And I, I did end up going into the trailer because I needed to take a restroom break. But as I looked around, I was like, there's no way I'm staying in here. We all end up sleeping in this tiny RV. I end up sleeping just on the floor because that's the only place I could find. The next day, I'm so excited to get out of there. and uh, We go to the airport, we pick up the artist and head to the gig, which is a small bar gig on the outskirts of Austin. And um, it goes okay. And it was actually fun, you know, playing the music and doing the show and whatnot. And then after the gig, we're heading down to the to a festival in southern Texas, and uh, we roll in and uh, go to the hotel that our artist has received notice that we're gonna, we're being put up there by the festival. When we come back to the hotel after sound check, um, we see people in our hotel rooms and all of our luggage and personal items are just sitting on the sidewalk and we're like what is going on the artist calls the festival rep and is like what's going on explains the situation the festival rep says oh well the headliner decided that they weren't going to drive back to dallas tonight and so we ended up giving them your rooms. So you're going to have to go find a different place to stay. So it's not a super big town. We're driving around town looking for <clears throat> anywhere to stay at this point. And uh, the artist ends up stopping at this Roach Motel and is able to get us two rooms with one king-size bed for each room. Some of the band guys are like, you know what, I'm just going to stay in the RV. And then the drummer and I were like, you know, I really want to have a room to shower in and 
you know, just relax, have AC. So we end up taking this room, get settled in for a bit. We go play our show after the show. Uh, we come back to the Roach Motel, and then the drummer and I end up actually having to share the king-size bed. But there's so many like bugs and nastiness. We ended up sleeping with the lights on. So, again, not getting like super great rest or anything the whole trip. So then we have to make this like 30-hour drive or something back from southern Texas all the way to Nashville. The steel guitar player, this whole time, uh, ever since the, the drive out, has been complaining of this pain in his leg. His leg is like really stiff and swollen, and we're starting to get freaked out about it. So we make the long 30-hour drive back to Nashville. I think the artist flew back again, so it was somebody else in the band driving and as soon as we get back to Nashville we just drop him right at the hospital and um, we found out later uh, that he ended up having like a major blood clot in his leg and he ended up being in the hospital for like a month after that you know we were all just super frustrated super exhausted with how the tour went you know we were really questioning the validity of this artist's statements that he was signed to Sony. Because typically, if a band is or an artist is signed to a label, they actually have some financial backing behind them. So, you know, I don't know. But um, it was it was a pretty terrible, pretty nightmarish gig and definitely an experience that I'll remember for the rest of my life. And that's our show for today. My deepest thanks to Toby, Andrew, Amy, James, and Adam for their contributions to Nightmare Games. If you would like to bring your own story to Nightmare Games, shoot me an email at keepclassicalweird at gmail.com and I'll fill you in on the details for future episodes. Our theme music is composed by amazing not-dead composer Thomas Barber. Check him out at thomasbarber.com. Web development support is provided by Tina at citybeautifuldesign.com. Keep Classical Weird is created and edited by me, Casey Bozell. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon. This concludes our fourth set of podcasts. But stay tuned next week for a trailer for the exciting fifth set coming right around the corner. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Stay safe and stay weird.